Welcome to Witham Sounding Board, a podcast sharing powerful business tips, insights, and trends for those seeking to become a rock star in their industry. Good morning. My name is Eric Kaluska, Senior Manager here at Witham with Witham's Hospitality and Vacation Ownership Niche. I'm here with Lena Combs and Thomas Durkee, practice leaders of the niche, to talk a little timeshare and what's been going on. To kick this off, why don't either of you tell me a little something that has changed since we last spoke last year and what are you seeing in the industry? Thanks, Eric. There are a few trends that we're seeing in the industry and some more specific towards legacy resorts or those in that 25 to 30 year old space. But one of the things we are seeing is more and more inventory are being owned by resorts, especially in the absence of developer involvement. Uh, which is indicative of the trend that delinquencies are potentially increasing and or resorts are just getting to the point where they are getting the process of taking the units back implemented. Also, we're seeing a continuing limited access to resale solutions, legitimate qualified resale solutions. So that is a continuing problem, especially coupled with the inventory being owned by the resorts increasing. One of the issues that's been going on for a few years is the consolidation of the players in the market. That's more on the developer and management side, uh, which is, we think, adding a little bit of price pressure and uh, access to the resale market, or it's contributing further to that issue that we discussed. Timeshare terminations are coming up. This legacy resort space, there are more timeshare terminations, and how are resorts dealing with that? How is the owner base uh, being affected by that? And finding solutions for those properties that are facing terminations to either gracefully exit or to continue successfully, we think is a trend. Those are pretty important uh, topics you just mentioned, Lena. Tom, do you have anything to add to to the conversation? Yes. Really, I think the biggest concern that we're seeing is what Lena mentioned about the legacy resorts and the accumulation of additional numbers of units uh, that they own, that they have to either find out a way to monetize through rental income, rental operations, or resale, period. Unfortunately, the monetization through resale has not been as successful as we would have liked, and so we are watching that trend very carefully. Just to say one thing to Tom's point, there is a very strong rental market, which has really helped resorts monetize that inventory. Our concern is that um, rental is obviously at the whim of the market, and the rentals in most cases, from what we have seen, which is a gross generalization, but they don't cover what the maintenance fee would be for that resort. So even though the inventory is getting monetized, we're concerned that market pressure may drive rent down and then exacerbate the problem or exacerbate the gap between the rental income that's being received and the actual maintenance fees and cost of operating that week or that point equivalent or um, whatever that might be. So the rentals are serving more as a partial bandage versus a a fix. Is that what you're saying? Correct. It's a stopgap. And as we saw during the recession, rentals went down. Uh, resort occupancy went up, um, ADRs went down, so it became a 
we just want to be cautious about relying 100% or 50% or whatever that looks like from a resource perspective on rental to monetize those units. They really need access to a long-term performing unit solution. It also changes the personality of the resorts. If someone is an owner and they're paying money to keep the place maintained and paying reserve fees and attending member meetings and board mem meetings and trying to take an active interest or any kind of an interest in their investment in the timeshare and they show up and there's a whole lot of rental activity, I think they begin to wonder whether or not it, their pride of ownership their, that they have had in this property is uh, sustainable. Additionally, when there's a lot of people renting, there's a perception that access is not at all exclusive and that you don't need to be an owner to play in that pond. And so that has the effect of harming their ability to resell units when there's a bunch of people accessing the same property through renting. Okay. We'll move it forward. We heard, you know, a good bit about rental and what we feel you know, the, how that affects the industry. But I'm looking in front of me now, I have the benchmarking study that Witham puts out annually, and this is the 2018 version. Can you remind the audience, Lena, what this is for and the purpose it serves? Yes, thanks, Eric, I'd love to. The benchmark study Witham started performing about 10 years ago because what we found was there was a lack of industry data when it came to the resorts, the associations, and there was a need for that to provide operations people, management, boards of directors with information about how to benchmark themselves. Were their assessments increasing way more than the average, for example, or how were their bad debts and compared to their peer group, so to speak. So we started this study. We selected 100 resorts in the state of Florida out of, so it's about, represents about 20 percent, 20 to 25 percent of the resorts in the state to review their audited financial statements and budgets, to compile financial data, to provide a benchmark or sorts of trends, financial trends annually for these managers and interested parties to see where they are falling in the spectrum of results and we really think that that is helping to fill a void of that information. Okay, so there's a lot of information in this study and I'm sure the you know management can use it and find some good trends going one direction, but it's probably not all good news, right Tom? I mean, did the study reveal any concerning trends in your opinion? Yes, as we talked about earlier, one of the trends that we're watching very closely is the health of the legacy properties, those that are sold out and are not associated or controlled by a developer, particularly those that are never had a strong regional national brand associated with them. So those are the ones that we're watching closely with respect to the rental activity, the resale activity, the accumulation of additional inventory. Additionally, one trend that we're seeing that we watch very closely is the relationship of the budgeted bad debt to the actual bad debt and we're seeing that gap widen which indicates to us that perhaps the management companies and the boards of these properties are being a little bit too optimistic 
which we think is not healthy for their long-term financial stability. It's easier to keep the owners happy than tell them the truth, is that what you're saying? We think they're being a little too optimistic when it comes to that particular metric. Well, to that point, assessments on average, as reported in the study, have increased about 5%. But if you look at things like the cost of inflation, payroll uh, cost increases, utility increases, property taxes, all those types of things, is that 5% or is it 7%? Uh, so we're finding that, that gap is kind of widening as people are budgeting sort of in the same as last year mantra and maybe not really fully thinking through what cost increases are going to be and what the effect on the ownership base is going to be from a collections perspective. Okay, so we, I mean, we certainly can't dive into all the information this, this study has. Can we uh, tell the listeners or interested parties where they can find the study? Certainly. The Witham website holds the study on the hospitality page. There is a link to download a copy of the report. One of the other big issues on the forefront of the industry relates to reserves, otherwise known as the replacement fund. Uh, what have you been seeing in the industry as far as adequacy of these reserves and how associations are overcoming inadequate funding or poor budgeting? Right, so what we are seeing is that over the course of the last few years, the spending in the res in the re for the replacement reserve items, i.e. refurbishment, roofs, pavement, sidewalks, uh, parking lots, that kind of thing, the spending has actually exceeded the assessments uh, for the 2016 year, which this report talks about specifically, the spending was in excess for that year. For the year before, it was very close, almost a wash. But the nature of these assessments in and of themselves is that they're supposed to be saving for long for the long term. Now, of course, there's always timing differences, but if each year you're spending what you're saving, then there's nothing there in three or five or ten years. And as these resorts continue to age, the repairs of the capital nature increase. So we are seeing some resorts, especially in the legacy category, fall into disrepair because of the situation where there's not been enough money accumulated to fund those needs. And then of course, if the cash isn't there and something happens, let's say a storm or some kind of uh, hurricane damage like we had in Florida last year, that causes the need for maybe a special assessment or bank financing in the short term, which just kind of kicks the can forward a little bit and then can tend to drive collections down. So there's a multitude of things that the board needs to kind of consider and think about when they're getting into the replacement fund and reserves. Yes. Okay. Um, we'll move on again to a, another topic. I'll try to hit on it briefly. Uh, we've heard about it, read about it. It's on the forefront of every news telecast out there. It's President Trump's tax cuts and Jobs Act. And now it's impacting our country. It's here. So what impact has it had on the industry, Tom? Eric, the tax bill has not had very much effect on the timeshare CIRA industry, the association industry. It had a big effect on the developers, which is really not the scope of what we're talking about here today. But on the associations, by way of background, they typically elect to file an 1120H 
instead of a Form 1120 as a regular corporation if they can because of some increased risks associated with filing as a regular corporation and using Form 1120. The 1120H filers have not been affected by the Trump tax bill, the so-called Trump tax bill. They continue to pay tax on the same types of income, which are primarily non-member related income, like interest, net rental income, etc., at a flat rate of 32% federal, plus state tax if they're in a taxable situation in a particular state. Usually those state taxes are consist solely of franchise taxes and not income taxes for CIRAs. If they do choose to file as a regular corporation in the past, they've had a graduated rate schedule, the bottom rate being 15%, the top rate being in the mid-30s. After the Trump tax bill, corporations are subjected to a flat tax rate of 21% on taxable income. So for some of those corporate filers, it could be a step up from the 15% bracket, and for many it will be a step down. Probably the biggest item that will affect them other than the rate change is the change to increase and liberalize the automatic expensing of purchased property and equipment. Primarily, I said property equipment, I, what I mean by that is personal property, not real property that's used in the business. So this would affect really big Sierras that have significant commercial components golf courses and ancillary operations. So those are the two things that we see that would affect CIRAs, but for 99% of the CIRAs that are going to continue to file Form 1128, we don't see any changes. Okay. So there's one more topic on the agenda I want to hit up, and it's, it's something that's been in the making for quite some time now. The AICPA has been developing uniform guidance on revenue recognition and its policies and to try to streamline and get everybody on the same page. So now it's here, it becomes effective for next calendar year for most, most in the industry. Can you talk a little bit about the challenges you're seeing in the industry and implementation and how you're seeing it affecting the industry? Sure. The challenge that we're having right now is that, as you alluded to, the effective date for non-public entities like CIRAs was pushed a year behind or a year beyond the effective date for public companies. Public companies have already been filing their quarterly financial reports with the SEC this year using the new revenue recognition rules. The For most of our clients and for most of the CIRAs in general, the first time that these new rules will be effective for them will be this year, the end of 2017, they'll begin to report using the new revenue recognition rules. The challenge is that because the effective date was pushed beyond the public companies, all private company is issues became second to the public company issues, and CIRAs have been pushed even further beyond most commercial entities in terms of the attention that the, our profession and our industry has given to the implementation. As you know, our firm has been really involved in trying to develop 
an implementation guide for the profession through an artist sponsorship after the issue of CIRA revenue recognition implementation was not acted on by the AICPA revenue recognition implementation committee. So we're planning to hopefully wind up our dialogue with some of the regulators in the next week or so and hopefully put the final touches on our paper and begin to roll that out to the profession and to the industry in the next um, four to five weeks. I'd say that one of the biggest challenges to any change like that is the fact that most people seem to be resisting the applicability to their particular CIRA or to their particular practice area. We, I see consistency in education of our profession, the management companies and the CIRAs themselves as being a huge challenge right now to get that done by December 31st. All right, well, I think we've touched on enough topics uh, in the industry and it's been uh, very informative and hopefully the listeners uh, can take some of this in and start moving in the direction they need to move to advise or change you know, the practices they have internally. Um, we'll look forward to hearing from you guys again. Thank you for your time, Lena and Tom. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Eric. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you'll be first in line to hear what's coming next. Don't want to wait for our next episode? Check us out at Witham.com. That's W-I-T-H-U-M.com.